John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year. My name is Jeff, and so if you're a guest with us, uh, I'm glad to have you. So thankful you decided to set some time aside to be with us. I'm one of the elders here and uh, give a lot of my time to teaching and preaching. And so that's what I'm going to be doing this morning. Uh, If you need a Bible, because we're going to look at them together, please raise your hand. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible. We have people that will bring a Bible to you. So yeah, just have your hand up and we'll get, and by the way, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep this Bible and take it as your own. We want to make sure you have that uh, as a gift from us. Uh, We are going to be looking at John 15 together, so uh, you you can turn there. It's uh, page 517 is where we're going to be starting, which is John 1, but then we're going to go to John 15, uh, which was the reading of today. So uh, before we begin to talk about where we're going, because this is every year we take a Sunday where we look forward, I want to just acknowledge again, even though I wasn't able to be with you last week, God has been so good to us, right? Hasn't he? He really has. He's been so gracious and kind and to given, us, given us five years of, of uh, life together as a church. Uh, I think it's a miracle that we are a church, uh, honestly, in light of what we walk through. And so I never want to forget that. I would love to give you, by, by the way, a report on giving, but I can't tell next week because the accountants have to give me the exact numbers. I can tell you we should be encouraged. I'll just leave it at that. So wait till next week to hear the news. Um, but we have a lot to be thankful for. God's been so kind. And as we, as we thought through where we're going in 2020, uh, and as the elders and the staff continue to pray and deliberate around what our direction should be, uh, we, we came to some conclusions together. And we really have one heart on this. Uh, but before I, I share the conclusion, uh, I want to just remind us that there are some things that are just not going to change. One is our vision. Uh, we have a vision to see God glorified to see the Puget Sound saturated with the glory of God. That's the word doxa, our church's name is the Greek word for glory. The word glory means the true reality of something. In the case of God, it's when the true nature of God is made visible and known. That's what glorifies God, when God is known for what he's really like. And Jesus is the full glory of God in bodily form. And now we as the church are the body of Christ. And therefore, Jesus, through his church, glorifies God. In other words, through us in everyday life, 
He wants to show what God the Father's like through your life where you live, work, learn, and play. And so that's not going away. That's still our vision. We want to see the entire Puget Sound saturated with the glory of God. We know that means it's not just doxa, but all the churches working together, which is why we're committed to what's called saturate the sound. If you're new with us, we have almost 100 churches committed in 10 different co- learning cohorts to work together to see God's glory saturate the Puget Sound. So that's really cool stuff. We want to thank God for that. Expect that it'll continue to grow more and more. So that's our vision. Second, our mission, which is not going to change because Jesus gave it, and so this should not be anything any church deliberates about. It's really clear. He said to make disciples. That was the mission he gave to all of us. So we want to make disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And that's different than just coming to a class or a church event. It's helping you learn how to follow Jesus every day and everywhere you go. So that's, that's, that's really got our mission and vision. Those aren't changing. But here's the thing. We can't make disciples of Jesus if we aren't abiding in Jesus. Okay? You can't make disciples of Jesus if you aren't abiding in Jesus. That's what this text, John 15, is all about. It's all about abiding. Another way of saying it is that we can't do the work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, without the power and presence of Jesus. And so a real huge emphasis is going to be wrestling with that concept this year. How do we press in to the very person of Jesus in ways that we experience his power in our life and his presence go with us wherever we go? And here's the concern. I I and uh, our elders and their wives and our staff as we meet with you, as we interact with you, as we try to really hear what's happening in your lives, what we keep hearing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that we hear people are overwhelmed, they're busy, they're tired, they don't have a lot of room to even make room for obedience to the commandments of Jesus. For instance, making room for relationships that are significant where you could have people over or you could make space for a weekly meal with other believers or you could be in accountability with a few brothers or a few sisters who know you well, press into your life, which we call DNA groups. A lot of you, it's like, man, I can hardly make room for one extra meeting a week in my life. I don't have any room for the mission of Jesus. Okay, now I may be wrong, but I think that's the general sense in a culture that's super busy, doing great things, but oftentimes too much of a great thing can sometimes become a bad thing because we become too busy for the best thing, which is Jesus. And so I want to just stop and ask the question, first of all, would you call somebody who's not yet a Christian, if you're not a Christian in the room, maybe you're here checking this out, but for those of you who are Christians, would you presently call somebody who's not a Christian to follow Christ as you follow Christ? And would you be excited about that? You'd be like, man, this is an abundant, amazing, life-giving, restful, fulfilling life. And if the answer is yes, great. You still probably need this year what we're going to go through. But many of us would go like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, sometimes I hear the idea that Jesus said I came to give life and give it more abundantly, and it doesn't feel like I'm experiencing the abundant life. Or I hear Jesus say, come to me, who, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But I don't feel rested. 
Or I hear Jesus say, like, I will be near you and stick closer to you than, than even your best friend or brother. And you're going, like, he doesn't feel that close to me. And I, if, I think if we're honest, we would say the life that we read about in the, the narrative that we're going to do in John doesn't necessarily look like our life. Am I right or am I wrong? Okay. So, for 2020 at DOXA, you might, all you type A's, and I'm kind of one of them, you can be a little disappointed because I'm not going to talk about how many people we're hoping to baptize and how many missional communities we're going to start and how many churches we're going to get planted. Like, you're not going to get any numbers from me today as I talk about the vision. The only thing you're going to get from me is the aim this year for DOXA is that we would be with Jesus, that he would be our aim, that if we aim for him, if we learn how to be with him, if we learn how to walk with him, if we experience the abundant life of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we trust that all the other stuff will come about. Do you agree with me? Yeah. So some of you are going, thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Okay, because more than anything else, we want you to end 2020 saying, I am experiencing abundant life, restful life, fulfilling life with Jesus Christ. I know him like I've never known him. I'm walking with him more closely than I ever did. I know his presence. I know his power. I got so much to give because I've received so much from him. That's what we're hoping for. So we end 2020 and you're still weary, tired, overwhelmed, and exhausted, have nothing to give, then either you didn't engage in what we were doing or we failed in leading it. I hope neither is the case. So that's the goal. Be with Jesus. So we got to kind of get back to some basics, maybe. And for maybe some of you are going like, I I got this. You know, I don't need that help. Well, I've been following Jesus for 30 years, and I'm telling you, I need it again. I need the reminder of what it means to be a disciple. I need the reminder of what it looks like to walk with him, to know him, to be filled with him, to be present with him. And so just as a reminder, we're called to be disciples of Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian in the room, when we talk about being a Christian, we're not talking about primarily people who just go to church or agree on a particular set of doctrines, though those things often come with it. But what's most important is we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We love him, we believe in him, we believe he gave his life for us, and so we now give our life to him. And so being a disciple, that word might be new for some of you, but it's really just being an apprentice of. It's, it's saying, I want to be like the one who I follow. In this case, being a disciple of Jesus means we want to not only be with Jesus, but we want to become like Jesus. And then we want to do what Jesus did uh, as a result. So those are the things we're going to be aiming for. Now, here, here's the thing, and I have to, I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of what I'm about to say. If we're not careful, we skip number one. We try to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did without Jesus. We just try harder. We, we make our New Year's resolutions. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to come to church more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to serve more. Whatever it is that you put on your resolutions. But if you don't make your number one resolution, I'm going to commune with Jesus more. I'm going to walk with the one who enables me to do it all. Then you're wasting your time. Because apart from you, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Jesus is really clear about that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do things in life. It just means you can't do anything that's actually going to be of eternal merit. That's going to really matter in the end. 
You need him. And so we're gonna kick off our John series in a couple weeks because we're gonna look at the life of Christ and we're gonna learn how to follow him well. But today I just wanna consider where Jesus started with his initial disciples. So if you have your Bibles, look at John chapter one. We're just gonna read a few verses together as we consider what it looked like to follow Jesus. Verse 35. Again, it's page 517 in the Bibles we handed out to you. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is John the Baptist. He was set forth to be a forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus. The two disciples of John heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So John's losing disciples now, okay? Just imagine what that was like. Okay, great. I guess... Here we go, Jesus is the one. And, and so they follow Jesus and Jesus turns and he sees them following him and he says to them, what are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. We, he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like saying, can anything good come from Carnation or something like that? So, sorry. Or another one, I don't know. Renton. No, come on. You guys are throwing people under the bus. You guys are all saying the city you don't belong to, right? So anyway, it was a bit of a hick town. It wasn't really known for much, uh, Nazareth. Philip said to him, come and see. So I want to just stop there. Jesus is beginning to call people to follow him. People are checking him out. And Jesus' response to really being able to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus is that you must actually come and see or come and hang out with. You must spend time with. Later, Jesus calls and points to 12, and Mark's version of that, which if you haven't read the Gospel of Mark, Mark's version of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is like a comic book version in terms of like really fast, short vignettes, uh, kind of capturing a whole lot and a little bit of content, or a few passages all at once. And this is what, what, what he says about the calling of the 12, Mark 3, verse 14. And he, Jesus, appointed the 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So notice that phrase, so they might be with him. Here's the key thing I want you to get. Discipleship, according to Jesus, the way Jesus made disciples was through presence. Through presence, not like gifts, but being with, okay? You'll notice in the gospels, Jesus doesn't say, Meet me at the synagogue Sunday morning at 10, and theirs would have been maybe Saturday, Sabbath, but meet at the synagogue and I will teach you for an hour and then you can go home. No, it was come be with me in life. Let me be a part of your everyday world and you see what it's like to be a part of my everyday world and you'll know what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus through that form. 
So I want to be really clear. None of us can be disciples of Jesus without the presence of Jesus in our life. You don't, you don't just learn about him or study. The, the idea of being a Christian is not primarily and first and foremost just a mental activity of understanding facts. It's a relational reality of coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ the Son. Okay? That, that is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In this sense, discipleship begins and it continues by being with Jesus. Now, the question you might be asking is, how do we do that since Jesus is not physically present with us like he was with the first disciples? Well, that first question that we read in chapter one that the disciples asked Jesus, which is, where are you staying, could also be translated, where are you making your home? Where are are you abiding That's the other way to to translate that, which is really important for the text that was read earlier in John 15. If you want to turn over a few pages to the right, uh, 516 in the Bibles we handed out to you, look at verse 4. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me in me. Now, the language of abide, abide in me and I in you is that same language of the disciples first asking, Jesus, where are you making your home? So the way that you might also be able to read this phrase, abide in me and I in you, could be translated, make your home with me as I am making my home with you. Okay? Now, that's helpful because if you didn't grow up on a vineyard and you don't know much about agriculture or gardening, sometimes you lose the sense of what it means to abide in the vine. But what's helpful here is to understand what Jesus is saying is, if I make my home in you and you make your home with me, then everything that is in my home becomes yours. I actually get to give you all the resources you need for a flourishing life. And that's what's beautiful about Christianity. Christianity isn't fundamentally about us finding ourselves working hard to make our way to God. It's about God first and foremost in the person of Jesus Christ making his home with us and then making his home accessible to us through his life, death, and resurrection so that we have access to everything that he owns to enable us to have a flourishing life. And so you might go, man, if my life doesn't feel like it's flourishing, if it's not abundant, if it's not restful, you should ask the question, where have you been making your home? Where have you been finding yourself looking for rest or comfort or provision? Now you go, well, how how does he make his home in me? Well, earlier in John chapter 14, verse 16, he says this. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, by the way, that word helper could be one just like me. One who came alongside of you just like I have. Okay, a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you. What is he referring to? Himself empowered by the spirit. He's going, you already know what this is like because you've been with me. But then listen to what he says. Not only do you know him for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. 
Now we know later on that after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to the right hand of God the Father, the Spirit of God is sent on God's people at, at the time of Pentecost. And they all experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts, that describes what it looks like when the Spirit of God comes on his people. It keeps saying, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did this through his people. And that's, that's the writer Luke saying, the Spirit that was with Jesus now has brought the Spirit of Jesus to be with you. So Jesus actually still with you. In fact, it's better than it used to be because it used to be that he was next to you, but now by his spirit, he's in you, dwelling in you. Now we ought to just go like, wow, right? And if you've experienced that, you know, you know there's nothing better than the very presence of the living God filling your life and guiding your steps. There's nothing like it. He will not leave you as orphans. He's not bringing you to a house and then abandoning you. He's dwelling with you in your house. He sends his spirit to dwell in us. And of course, and this is, I want to be really clear about this, especially if you're not yet a Christian. Because you might be going, I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. You can't know what I'm talking about until you're cleaned up. You might go, what do you mean? I don't need a bath. No, you don't need a bath, but you need to have your, your sins forgiven. John 15, three is very clear. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who've already heard the word spoken. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What's that word? It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus says, I've come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It's the good news that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one you're looking for. It's the good news that says Jesus came so that through him, we might have access to the father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. It's the good news that says that Jesus lived the life you and I can't, died the death we deserve, paid the penalty for all of our sins, satisfied the wrath of God, went to the grave and buried sin that had condemning words against all of us in the grave so that when he rose from the dead, there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are now forgiven, loved, and accepted before God the Father through Jesus Christ who overcame Satan's sin and death so you and I might be set free and in life forever and abundant and rest evermore. Amen? If you believe that's true, if you believe that's happened to you, that your faith is in Christ, you're already clean because of the word that was spoken to you. And that's so important because if you're clean, that means God has made you a holy dwelling place. See, the holy, holy, holy God will not dwell in a sinful place. But once he's cleansed you of all your sin through Christ, you are now a holy dwelling place in which his spirit comes to dwell. In fact, the very spirit in your life is a deposit that you have been purchased through the blood of Christ to be a child of God forever, secure, without any fear of ever losing his love. He's come to make his home in you, to bring his presence, to bring all of the provision you need for everything you've always longed for. And then he continues to clean us up. He continues to prune us. Sometimes he does that through really difficult situations. I'm going through a pruning right now. I would not have chosen it. I don't like it. But I know he is removing sin that hinders me. He's purifying my faith. 
He's leading me to the end of myself so that I absolutely know for certain I can't get up every day and do what he's called me to do without his help. And in some cases, the worst situations in our life are the greatest blessing God can give us because he reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, that's what I feel every day these days as I'm going through grief. You just get up and go, Lord, I need your presence. I need your provision. I can't do this. So the problem is I, I sometimes used to believe that I could. And if I'm honest and you're honest, we go through our days so often hardly dependent at all on God because we can make it without him, we think. And then sometimes God brings us to the end of ourselves and says, I'm gonna prune you a little bit here because I wanna remind you how badly you need to tap into me for all that you need. Sometimes he convicts us of things. Like you might leave today going, man, there's some things very clearly in my life that I know need to be removed. And with God's help, we're gonna do some pruning this week and see him remove stuff. In fact, I would say some of you didn't need to make more resolutions to do more in 2020. You need to make a resolution to do less. To maybe cut some things out of your life that are robbing you of the privilege of experiencing his presence and his joy. And I mean, I know this is true for almost everybody in the room because almost all of us spend way too much time either in front of a big screen or a small screen. Amen? Maybe you don't, and you're blessed. I want to be clear. Making our home with him, abiding in him, is not just a passive deal. I mean, it was passive in the beginning when he showed up and made his home in you, But now for you to abide in him, you've got to actively seek out his presence. Pursue it. How do you do that? Some of you have heard of Brother Lawrence. Anybody familiar with Brother Lawrence? He was a layman in a Carmelite um, monastery in Paris. He actually wasn't considered a monk. He just wanted to learn how how to pursue God. And he happened to be the the guy who worked in the kitchen, so primarily he was washing dishes. And he just learned how to be present, how to, how to be mindful of God's presence in the mundane. And as he washed dishes, he experienced the presence of God. And as he did that, more and more people noticed this guy has got a peace that's so profound, a love that's so deep, And people started coming from miles away just to meet with Brother Lawrence and ask, how do you do it? How are you so peaceful? How are you so full of joy, so full of love? Like, what is it? And he would just talk about how he was aware that God was there. And then he made himself mindful that God wanted to dwell with him in dishwashing. Eventually, as he got older, he couldn't even work in the kitchen and he became a a sandal mender. And he just sat around and mended sandals. And while he was doing that, he just, he just enjoyed God's presence. And he, he found himself in, in, almost in a place of heavenly bliss. You know, you know when we pray, thy, thy, the, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that you can experience the, the joys of heaven on earth today? Because God is the God of heaven. And when he dwells in you and you experience his presence, you get the taste of heaven. And so Brother Lawrence was well known for this. In fact, people just wanted to sit at his feet and learn, how do you do this? I want to recommend his book to you, Practicing 
The Presence of God, or, or another book I'll, I'll put up, which kind of puts both his book and then uh, Frank Laubach's uh, instructions on how to begin to do this. If, if this is foreign to you, even, even as I'm talking, you're like, Jeff, what do you mean? Then I wanna, I wanna beg you, get this book and begin to dive into what God wants for you in his presence. If you aren't experiencing this, you're missing out. I know for me, even this morning, I, I, I've, I've, I, sometimes I, I, I have these days where I'm like, I just don't want to get up today. <laughs> and that's just been a challenging couple months. And this morning, I, I, he woke me up at four. And I, I, you know, I started thinking through all the things that are going on and things that I feel like I got to take responsibility for. And, I'm, and I, how many of you guys like that? You can't get back to sleep? So then I'm like, I start turning all my thoughts into prayers, thinking that maybe after I pray through it, I'll fall back to sleep. And I don't. And it's like 5.30 now, and 5.15, and, and I, he says, hey, I'm waking you up. I'd like to spend some time together. And I'm just like trying to avoid that, because I'd like to just well, go back to sleep. And, and I finally go, okay, and I get up, and I take a shower, and I get to the office here earlier than I normally do, and I to get my cup of coffee, and I just sit there, and I go, okay, Lord, what? And I, I, I do some reading in the Psalms. He goes, no, 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 stop. Just be just be, be with me, aren't I enough? And in that moment, I'm like, okay, Lord, that's it. I'm, I'm not gonna try to read more. I'm not gonna try to journal more. I'm not gonna try and pray, talk more. I'm just gonna be. And I, I kind of looked at the clock. And I said, okay, let's just do 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I got work to do. <laughs> just kidding. And I just, I just sat there and I, you know, I soaked my hands and I, You're God, I'm not. I can't do this without you. And he goes, enough, don't talk anymore. <laughs> okay. And so then I just started breathing and slowing down my pace and just rested. And he didn't say anything, which was great. Not because I don't like to hear from God, but you ever have that kind of relationship where all you need is just being with each other is enough? That's when you know that the relationship really matters. When you always have to fill it with stuff, it's like, are we not enough just to be together? And I just experienced him in that moment, and it, it took me back to when I first read this book, the present, Practicing the Presence, and it's like, yes, I want more of that all day long. And you know what that does when you, when you get those moments? And maybe you, you haven't experienced that, but I'd encourage you, in between every meeting, maybe slow down a little bit, or on your commute to work. You, know, you need it, by the way, there right? Like if there's a place you need the spirit of God's presence, it's on 520 or 405 or I-90 at commuter time, right? And in fact, I think God's given you a gift in bad traffic on the east side so that you will have to go to him and ask him for help, right? So turn your radio off, just be with him because you're going to be there for a while anyway, right? In fact, that'd be an assignment I'd love for you to try this week. Just turn the radio off for even if it's five minutes, just enjoy his presence. And then, pay attention to the fruit that it produces. By the way, you'll know that your mind is set on the spirit and you're walking in the presence of God because it'll produce fruit that looks like Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus says in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches, who abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing 
Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified. Remember, to glorify something is to make the true nature of something visible. So he's saying, when you do this, through your life, God will be seen. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Remember, apprentices of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, start to look like their master. So the first fruit is you're gonna start to become like Jesus. You will, and I don't know of anybody in the world that's ever read the life of Jesus and went, yeah, that's not a very impressive life. In fact, I was talking to some uh, ladies this morning, and we were talking about guys, you know, in the, in the Northwest, and, you know, them, of course, wanting to eventually be with one and struggling, because it's like, guys, man, this aren't, like, they aren't that excited. It seems like the more godly they are, the more boring they become, and... And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not, that can't, you can't say that. Because the more godly they become, the more they look like Jesus. And Jesus was anything but boring. Amen? I mean, isn't Jesus like the most attractive human ever that lived? In fact, you guys hear me say a lot of times that if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. Let me say it another way. If you want to know what the best human life looks like, look at Jesus. Because he lived life as it was meant to be lived. Fully. Completely abundantly. So what does fruit of becoming like Jesus actually look like? What does it look like to be fully human? Paul makes it clear in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, that when we have our mind set on the Spirit, and the Spirit's job is to have our mind set on Jesus and enable Jesus' life to be lived in and through us, he says this is what will happen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wouldn't you say all of us need that? And don't miss it. He doesn't say the fruit of a really religious person working super hard looks like this. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, the Spirit produces it in you not you work hard at it. If you go, man, I just gotta try harder to be more patient, that's worldly thinking. You go, man, I wanna be patient. I must have the, the, the one who is truly the embodiment of patience, who's put up with me for so many years and never gave up with me, that's Jesus Christ. I need that fruit produced in me, and the only one who will do that is Jesus. And that's true for every other one of these that's in the list of the description of the fruit. And don't miss it. This isn't the fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit with many descriptions. In other words, you can't say, I'm a really loving person. I just am impatient with people. You know what? I I think I'm kind, but I'm not gentle. Or you know what? I'm self-controlled, but I just hate people. None of those are possible. All, all of it is one together, one holistic thing. I love, and it shows up in gentleness and patience and kindness and self-control. That's how love expresses itself. And the only way you can do that is by the Spirit of God giving it to you, doing it in and through you. You, you can't do what only Jesus could do. I want you to hear that. If you're not yet a Christian here, the beauty of the Christian life is that it's not us doing something for God, it's God coming into our life by his spirit and doing something in us to change us internally and then doing something through us to enable us to do what only Jesus could do. That's the, that's the good news of the gospel is that not only are you forgiven, but you're transformed and empowered by the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you'll start to look like him. And not only will you look like him, you'll begin to do what he did. 
John 14, turn the back a page or so in your Bible. Verse 12. Truly, truly. This is John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, which is another way of saying trust in me, depends on me, abides in me, will also do the works that I do. Don't, don't miss that. You're gonna do the same work Jesus did. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice he says, whatever you ask in my name, he doesn't say, I will answer. He says, I will do. That's really important. Don't miss that. Because if you think, man, God, I just want you to, be, to help me to love people. Don't, he's not gonna make necessarily you just more loving. He's going to love you first and then he's gonna love through you next. He's gonna actually do a work in you to transform you and do a work through you so what they get isn't just you, they get Jesus. That's what they get, working through your life. He says, this I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then the next passage is, I'll send you with the helper, the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to look like me, but you can't look like me unless you believe in me. And in believing in me, I'm going to actually come dwell in you. And then by my spirit, I'm going to work in and through you to do what only I can do. That's, that's it's amazing. I mean, that's why you can be at rest because it's not you ultimately doing the work. It's him. And some of you go, yeah, but there is work. Yeah, Paul does say to the church in Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's him who's at work in you both to will and to do according to his his good pleasure. So the work you're doing is pretty much saying no to you being in charge of your life and saying yes to him being in charge. That's the work in every area. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. Jesus wants to come and make his home in you by his spirit. If you really experience that and believe that, you're walking around with the very presence of the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence and sustains it by his very word and one day will make it all new. If that's true, if you really believe that and you're really experiencing that, don't you think you would want to do everything he wants? Don't you think you would be able to do everything he can do? Don't you think? And so I want to say a word that may be a bit of a, I, don't, I hope it comes across as a gentle rebuke, but if you have none of the desire to do what he wants and none of the ability to do what he does, it's very possible you don't know him. It's very possible he doesn't dwell in you. It's very possible that Christianity has only been a religion for you to primarily fill your head up with a bunch of facts, but you've never surrendered yourself to the Lord of the universe and acknowledge that you need Jesus desperately, day by day, moment by moment. And I'm telling you, some of the scariest situations I face are people who know more than they actually believe. They know tons up here, but it doesn't change anything here. And so maybe today, maybe, maybe, maybe you did know him, but you've walked away. Maybe you had moments where you've experienced what I'm talking about, but then you hardened your heart. I don't know, but I, I want to beg you today to say, Jesus, come make your home in me again. I don't want to be without your power or presence. I can't do this without you. I need you desperately. You know, almost every morning when I'm writing my journal, one of the first things I write these days is, God, help me. God, help me. I can't do this without you. And that may be one of the greatest gifts God has given me that I know how desperately I need his help today. Maybe that's where you're at. Which takes us all the way back. In order to become like Jesus and do what Jesus does, it leads you right back to 
be with him. In fact, the brilliance of all of Jesus' teaching is that if you read it and you walk away and go, I think I could do that, then you didn't read it right. It's meant to make you read it and go, who could do that? Who could love their enemy when they keep hurting you and they keep rejecting you? How in the world can I keep forgiving when they do it over and over again? How can I be generous when they take advantage of my generosity? And on and on and on. And the only answer is you can't. Only he can. And so the beauty of every command is every command is meant to lead you to the end of yourself and the beginning of Jesus. That's how they all work. So that you'll go back and be with Jesus. John Mark Cummer from Bridgetown Church in Portland who we're learning from right now in these things and I would recommend him as a teacher and a a writer. He said, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was absolutely dependent on the Father for every single thing he did. If we want to live the life of Jesus, we have to be as dependent. We have to walk in the ways that he did. Not because the ways are the things that justify us, but the ways are the way that we get dependent on God again. For instance, every time I think about preaching these days, I go, God, you're gonna have to speak, you're gonna have to work, you're gonna have to keep giving me the motivation. You're gonna have to open up the word in fresh new way. I mean, I'm so dependent. And so I'm doing the very thing Jesus did. He says, I'm not telling you anything except for what the Father tells me. That looks a lot more like Jesus when I do that. Instead of just trying to say what I think, I'm trying to say, God, what do you want to say? But I'm telling you, it's a struggle, if I'm honest. It's a struggle to keep believing that Being quiet is better than talking sometimes. It's a struggle to believe that sometimes I don't need to impress people with my Bible reading and I just need to trust the God who inspired the Bible again for my moment-by-moment lifestyle. And so what we wanna do this year, you're probably going, hey, what are we gonna do this year? (laughs) It's a long way to get to where we're going this year. Where we're going is we are going to say, Jesus We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to be filled with you. We don't want to do this without you. The year 2020 is all about being with Jesus and knowing him so intimately and experiencing his presence so fully and being so deeply satisfied that what flows out of us is the life of Christ. And then if we call anybody to anything, it's already in us. It's not something we're talking about that we don't know. It's something we're experiencing every moment. So we're gonna be practicing some things together as we look at the life of Christ and realize that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places and so we're gonna learn how to enter into solitude together. Some of you are going like, no, I can't do it. You're going to do it, okay? We're gonna spend a quarter on, so three months on four different practices. This first three months is gonna be all about silence and solitude. Then we're gonna talk about prayer, and not just talking, but listening. And we're going to walk through Sabbath in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, we're going to walk through what it looks like to really read our Bibles and interact and hear from God, okay? Just, these are the basics. Some of you are going like, come on, man, I've been doing that for years. I just want to tell you, most of our church is not well-practiced in these four things on a regular basis, okay? And I'm not saying that to, to make anybody feel better. I'm just saying it's our responsibility as leaders of this church to make sure you know how to walk with Jesus, and so we want to make sure we don't get through the end of the year and you guys are all like, man, we're so tired again. And if I, if I want to own something here, and I will, I feel like if I could start Doxa all over again five years ago, I would have started here instead of assuming it was already in place. I'm not going to assume that anymore. 
I'm gonna do everything we can. The elders are gonna do everything they can. The staff's gonna do everything they can to help you become people who are so familiar with the presence of Christ that everything you give is him eventually. And so the way we're gonna do it is like next week, I'm just gonna teach on Sunday on silence and solitude. We're gonna give you ways to begin to practice it. And don't worry, we won't overwhelm you with a full day yet. We'll start with like five minutes or something. Uh, and we're gonna help you do it in your, in your DNA groups where you can process, you'll do it alone and then process it with your DNA group. How did it go? And then in your missional community, what does that mean and how do we learn more about that together? And we're gonna do that for all four of those practices for the whole year. Now we're gonna teach through John still, but along the way, we're gonna be just helping you walk through how to be with Jesus. Does that sound good? That kind of refreshing news for your soul? It should be. I mean, you should be going like, cool, they're not asking us to do a ton. They're just asking us to be. I trust the Spirit will tell you what to do if you learn how to listen and be with Jesus. Amen? So that's where we're headed, family. And before we end, I just want you to do something here. Well, I should say one other thing. Some of you might be going like, but I'm not in a DNA group and I'm not in a missional community. Uh, our next 301 is gonna be starting on February 9th. We are specifically designing it so everybody in the church has an opportunity to get in a DNA group or a missional community if you're not presently in one. So we don't want, you can't do what we're gonna do together for the next year unless you're in community with some people to process it with because it won't go very far if you're all by yourself. So don't miss that. You can even sign up for that uh, by texting DOXA301 to 24587 or come to the lunch right afterwards one-on-one and hear how to get started. If you're brand new to the church, that's the best way to go. Okay, let me end with asking you to do a couple things. First of all, what have you become more at home with than Jesus? What are you abiding in more than Jesus? What are you finding your comfort in more than Jesus? What are you finding your rest in more than Jesus? And I'll just tell you, if it's not Jesus, it wasn't restful, it wasn't uh, fulfilling, it wasn't satisfying, it didn't give you what you hoped it would, I know that. I, I, I've been going to a variety of things for comfort the last two months and I keep reminding myself there's only one who can truly comfort my soul and heal it and that's Jesus Christ. So food doesn't do it, TV doesn't do it, Netflix doesn't do it, two and a half hours on your phone a day which is the average for all of you doesn't do it, we all know that. Second, what needs to be cleaned out of your home in order to make room for his presence? What does God need to prune that you might need to present to him today? And then I wanna ask you to do this. Try spending five minutes, maybe 10, at least once this week. You might wanna do it every day, but at least once this week, just saying, God, I just wanna, I just wanna sit in your presence. I wanna talk, I wanna do anything. Just would you just be with me and just see what he does. I invite you to try that. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you were willing to come and make your home here. But even more important that you are willing to make your home in us. Thank you for doing everything necessary to make us a clean, holy dwelling place where you can dwell by your spirit. Teach us to enjoy you, to be with you, to not just have your presence with us, but to have our presence with you to make our home with you. And we pray as we do that, that you would bear much fruit through our lives, that it would become a restful, abundant, fruitful life that we don't strive to produce, but we experiencing you producing in and through us. Teach us how to work out our salvation in that way. And Lord, I pray for 2020, that this year for all of us, 
would be the kind of year where we become acquainted with you in ways we never were before. Help us, Holy Spirit, to make our home with you. And would you make your home in us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.